I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The nail in the coffin! Welcome to The Nail in the Coffin, part of the world-famous Evergreen Podcast Network. I'm Tom Valentino, and this Saturday night, the Ohio Bobcats are going to make their first appearance in the NCAA tournament since 2012. And with that, I am very excited to welcome our guests on the line, the OU broadcast team, play-by-play man Russ Eisenstein and color analyst Rob Cornelius. Fellas, I've listened to you guys call a lot of games over the years. It's uh, it's really great to have you on. No, I'm glad to be here. This is fun. We're having a great time in Indianapolis, just uninhabited. Yeah, it's. I'm glad that you're on the other end of the line. Sometimes we never know how many people are listening. But uh, uh, Bobcat, in all honesty, Bobcat fans uh, uh, and folks all over uh, have been great. And it's fun to work with Rob. He and I have uh, uh, tolerated each other's act for 13 seasons now. And this is our third NCAA tournament together. So we, we, we've got it all practiced and we're having fun. Yeah. So, Russ, I wanted to ask you, you know, you guys are in Indianapolis and um, the the game on Saturday is going to be in Bloomington at Assembly Hall. So you're going to be on site calling the game. But last week, you know, for the MAC tournament, I, I think you guys were working out of the convo down in Athens, right? Yeah, we were the uh, the league and uh, their agreement with the arena. Um, and it was largely the, the arena's decision on how they wanted to um, uh, handle everything with COVID and social distancing and everything else. Um, obviously it was a decision that, that we weren't happy with, but, but we had to go along with it and that's fine. And, uh, so we did broadcast from the convo. We had the zoom link, uh, on two monitors. And then we had the, uh, uh game on a uh, convo vision as well. We had the audio feed to our, uh, uh studios in Winston Salem. And, uh, Rob and I actually had more freedom of movement at our broadcast position <laughs> than we normally would. So, uh, during tense moments, we could kind of pace back and forth and do all the body language that normal fans would that we normally wouldn't be able to in a tense moment like that. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You know, last week I was talking with Jason Arkley about the challenges of writing about games remotely. So I was kind of curious if it was kind of tough for you guys to do play-by-play when you're you're not on site because, you know, normally you're in the middle of the atmosphere, everything's going on, whereas here you're just, you know, looking at monitors and you're in an empty arena, uh, you know, a couple hours away. It's just a really a really tight thing to have to deal with because you're only seeing one view, whatever's on the TV at that point. And what right. they fed us out of Cleveland was basically imagine what you'd see on the Jumbotron at the gun to Quick Loans Arena, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, but what you'd see minus all the promotional stuff. So you basically see wide cam for most of the game, not a lot of ISOs and stuff. It's actually pretty good for calling a game. But understand, like when you see these being done remotely in the big time broadcasts, the network broadcasts, they have the ability on site to see all the cameras at the same time, even the ones that are off air. So you get a lot more, a lot more data out of a show like that than you do one uh, with that situation. So let's talk about the games themselves last weekend. Um, 
you know, I, I don't really exhale on any of these things until the final horn goes off. But, you know, you look back at it, uh, Ohio beats Kent State by 22, uh, was in pretty much total control against Toledo in the semis and, and kind of the same story again with Buffalo in the final. Um, I knew, I knew Ohio had a good team this year, but you know, it was kind of hard as a fan to get a read on things with the, the shutdowns Were you guys, what did you make of the performance last weekend? Cause you know, even going in, I felt like, all right, we got a shot, but never in, you know, my wildest dreams that I think it would look like that. Well, I think that uh, the seed was planted in uh, uh, central Illinois corn country in November um, the way that they played against Illinois and, and being from Illinois and, and knowing about that program and knowing about the year they expected to have and, and the talent of uh, Coburn and DeSumo and the rest of the guys, I, I was really blown away by how awesome Ohio played against them. Uh, and, and again, you know, there was a time in that game where uh, Illinois went on a run and if it were a, a normal crowd and normal game, uh, the atmosphere would have played a part. But the fact that Ohio was able to play without the Orange Crush there, without 15,000 people there, whatever, that's at the State Farm Center Assembly Hall, that helped. But um, that was the start of it for me. And uh, the way that they were able to bounce back from the first long COVID pause, and actually going back to the Kent State game, they, they were pretty pissed off about the way that Kent State really controlled them in the first game at the Convo. And so, Rob, those are all things uh, that, that made me think, yeah, if, if they could get past the COVID rust, which which they did the first time, they'd have as good of a shot as anybody, uh, even as being the five seed to win the tournament. Yeah, I mean, you obviously missed the second Miami game or whatnot, but you ended the season by beating all these teams that have beaten Tar out of you the first time. I think every season, if you see every game as we are, we are prone to or you're there for every game, you sense inflection points throughout a season. And to me, an inflection point was the road game at Toledo. Not only did Ohio lose, but frankly got humiliated in the second half. Terrible defense, burn the tape kind of stuff. And that one really, really hurt. To see Ohio come back and do what they did to Toledo, not only offensively, but defensively. Ohio stopped the three at an incredibly high rate in that game. Outside of their star player, their point guard Jackson, the rest of the team was 117th and three. That's the best three-point three shooting team in, in the league, and Ohio stopped it cold. And that's why I think Ohio has a, a lot of hope this weekend against Virginia. Yeah, speaking of Virginia, you know, one of the reasons – waited to do this podcast was because we're not entirely sure if they were going to be making it to uh to indiana there with uh, the covid issues that they've been going through but uh, you know the deadline to have them replaced has since passed that that happened on tuesday so as far as we know they're they're good to go and they're playing um right any anybody do we know if they're going to be missing anyone or what's going on with them we, we think there's one uh, player that hasn't been named, um, maybe not a, a primary rotation guy um, that, that is missing. And I, I that's what I've seen, Rob, and I, I don't think you've seen anything. And, and that's where we are. Obviously, we won't know that till they get here. They're not going to practice once they get here. They're not really going to have time to be off the, off the plane long, get tested, get tested again, and head south. But it's interesting. They're not an especially deep team. You know, essentially have four guys play around 30 or more minutes. They're not going to go 10 or 12 deep most nights. But again, all you need is five to play. So we don't know between five and 13 how many are actually going to show up, be eligible, and be available, period. 
kind of an interesting clash in styles. You know, the Bobcats like to play a little bit more up-tempo, score in the 80s. You know, all, all three games last weekend in Cleveland, 85 points, 87, 84. Um, Virginia, meanwhile, I, I think I read they have the uh, the slowest pace of play in the country. I think they've only given up 70 points twice this year. Uh, you know, styles make fights. I'm, I'm kind of curious to, you know, get your thoughts on what this game could look like. Ohio's going to try and create tempo as they did all through the MAC tournament by um, essentially pushing it up ice on all defensive rebounds, trying to create the tempo that way off of misses. Now, Virginia doesn't miss a ton. It's not the best offensive team they've had, but it's a pretty good one. But that's where it's going to be in this clash of styles. Again, who wins that battle of wills? And do officials get in the way? Do you have foul problems because Virginia plays two or three big bigs? It's it's an interesting mix. Yeah, I, I think, and, and I already taped the Jeff Bowles pregame show. He's Got so many other media responsibilities, so finding the time uh, to carve that out, it was it was prior to actually this taping. Um, but we talked about that. Obviously, the top of line guys on that stat sheet of, of Preston and Wilson and Vanderplas are are big in any game, but particularly against a defensive unit like Virginia. Can you find the cracks? Can you get to the rack? Can you take contact? Can you be tough? minded offensively against a tough-minded defensive team. So I'm looking at a guy like Mark Sears in this ballgame. I'm looking at a, a newfound driver in, in Ben Roderick in this type of ballgame. Uh, London McDay, um, a put-back bucket for him, him crashing the glass. Those are the type of game uh, – those are the type of games from an individual standpoint that I think are going to be important against the, the type of defense that Virginia brings to the table. And then on the other side, don't let them get hot on a pick and pop sort of situation, all of those guys can step out and shoot when they're ready. Uh, so being defensively minded to get into them uh, and contest even a seven, one shooter um, like they have, that, that's going to be big on the other end too. If you're an Ohio fan, the comparator in my head is South Florida, very slow, very heavy defensive style who Ohio played in the second game in Nashville in the tournament back in 2012. Um, no one's going to get up and run away with this thing. more than three or four possessions you would certainly hope. So one of the things that it's been kind of interesting to me over the last few days is it feels like Ohio has become kind of a trendy pick on uh, the morning shows, the, uh, the websites and uh, everybody else that's talking March madness this week. Uh, Bobcat's not going to be sneaking up on anybody this weekend. Um, kind of wondering, you know, how, how does that affect the team mindset? Uh, is this a group that uh, is, um, you know, Ready for that? A lot of yeah. attention. Yeah, I, I think they are. I think they've had practice with it this year. Um, there aren't, you know, you take a look at the other uh, 13 seeds, you know, North Carolina, Greensboro, um, Liberty, and I'm forgetting the other. But anyway, teams in this side of the bracket generally haven't had that type of uh, buzzworthiness throughout the course of the year. But Ohio had. Uh, after the Illinois game, Jason Preston story and, and it national notoriety with the 40-0 run against Cleveland State it turned out to be pretty good. Kudos to the Vikings for not sinking their ship after Ohio put that 40-0 run on them at the convo and they win the regular season in the tournament title. So and 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 then past that, you know, Rob, I the fact that there isn't that kind of buzz here that you normally would have uh, from a fan standpoint, from a, a town standpoint. All of that has to help, too. So I, I think these guys are really conditioned to handle it uh, against uh, Virginia. 
Yeah, and, and I mean, with this group, they really, really like each other. And I know we're the broadcasters for the team. We have to say these guys are all super dudes. They all love each other, date my sister, the whole deal. Uh-huh. Chemistry-wise, this is the best group in terms of there is no turmoil. There are no clicks. There no, there's nothing like that. These guys get along better than any group we've seen. The great teams, the bad teams over the last 25 years, these guys really, really like each other. And they really mean it. And they've been through it this year, too. A couple yeah. of different COVID layoffs. And, uh, you know, you kind of – think that's maybe just one of those things that can kind of help build camaraderie and if you can get through it on the other side you're you're a better group for it no by by far and that's 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 that's, i mean obviously this coverage this week's been you know ben and jason being roommates and friends for so long and obviously ben's ties to the virginia staff a lot of neat little you know social stories have popped up this week but no there's absolutely nothing to make you doubt this group's commitment to each other and to being in this bubble Russ, it sounded like you were about to say something there. Yeah, well, I, I generally do that anyway. I cut Rob off often, so, uh, <laughs> you know, he, we, we just kind of roll with it. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think all of that combined what Rob said. And, again, that's why we worked together for so long because he's really good at that. And um, I think we see the game and the team the same way. That That's the other part about the broadcast, too. I mean, I'm working with a fellow basketball nerd who has a really good sense of time and score, where's the ball on the floor, and understanding the game. Um, and we're honest about what we see from this team and good and bad. And if obviously if Ohio wasn't this good and, and, and didn't have this connectivity and, and uh, uh, nature that they have to them, they, they wouldn't be in this situation. Uh, but they do like each other. They're, they're built for this type of game. Um, and I think that there are enough layers to them to be able to withstand a punch that they're going to get from Virginia at some point in the game. Let me ask you this. I, I believe of the six sites that are hosting games, Assembly Hall is the only one that's not going to make any tickets available to the public. And I know that bummed out some OU fans, especially uh, those who are around Athens. Uh, Ohio fans travel pretty well. If I remember correctly, I think in 2012, those first and second round games in Nashville, I think they sold the most tickets out of anybody that was there. And there were some really, uh, you know, big programs that were also at the same site. Um not having any fans in attendance other than, you know, maybe some immediate friends and family. Is that a good thing or a bad thing or just a non-factor when it comes to this game? Rob? I think this team, frankly, has figured it out and played through it. They're used to playing in front of no one or virtually no one, and that that continuing is probably a good thing. These are basically like wrestling matches in a TV studio where they forgot to get fans. Uh, I think that the number for for Saturday is going to be something like 220, 240 tickets uh, for each team, but they're not obviously being sold. That's strictly friends and family, pass list, all that sort of thing. And it's odd because as we're doing this, I'm watching this Texas Southern Mount St. Mary's, the opener of the opening round, the pre-round, and Assembly Hall is, is it's empty. There's no one there. It's amazing. Yeah, and, and the other part of this, too, no matter the buzz that Ohio's getting, they, they still are the 13th seed here. Um, and so normally when you have a team play as well as we think Ohio could play, um, on Saturday, the whole arena, with the exception of Virginia fans, are, would normally be for Ohio or any of the underdogs yep. from a seed standpoint. So when Ohio goes on a run, which Ohio will go on a run, we just wonder how long it will be and, and to, uh, the point value to it. The arena would be behind the Bobcats. There's no doubt about it. Um, but in this situation this year, um, Ohio being new to the tournament with this group, Virginia being tournament tested and knowing what the atmosphere is like. Um, that is another uh, bullet point on the Bobcats 
in-game resume of, all right, that's one less thing that they have to worry about of getting acclimated to the dance floor. So it, it works in a variety of ways. But like Rob said, you know, this team zoned in pretty good. And, and, and this is a, a unit that is really built to play in a pandemic, I think. And they've shown it this year. And I think they'll show it again on Saturday. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I'm glad you mentioned that about neutral fans who are in the arena, you know, whether they're just locals who got tickets to the games or, you know, maybe their program is playing in the other game in that session. Cause I've been to a few of those in Cleveland and you definitely feel that in the building when there's the, the lower seated team, all of a sudden starts knocking down a few shots and you kind of hear that murmur in the crowd. Like, Hey, yeah. wait a minute, these guys can play like oh, there's something going down here. And, and like, it just starts building and building and uh, great buzz in the building when you, uh, you get something like that happening. So, um, you know, hopefully as we get, uh, you know, deeper into the tournament, you know, I think the rest of the games are going to have fans and yeah, you know, the atmosphere on these things always is such a great part of March madness. Well, without a doubt. And, and, you know, I, I've been to a couple of games at assembly hall before, and it really is one of the palaces of college basketball. And you could say, well, it's a shame that fans won't be there. Well, this wouldn't happen. This game wouldn't be in Bloomington if this were a normal year anyway. So there isn't a normal regional site at IU. Um, but it is pretty remarkable that all this is happening. And no matter how many fans are there, it's great. It's happening. Also, we should know, too, that I think 100 uh, IU health uh, workers um, uh, have tickets to this regional, to these games there, which is great. I'm glad that they did that, made some available, because this is a pandemic. And there are way more important things than hoops, but hoops is the entertainment for a lot of people. And uh, so I'm glad that they'll be there. But Rob, yeah, it, it, I don't know if you've been to a game at IU before, but but I think you're going to love just the whole setup there from the PA announcer to the floor to the setup of the arena. It's just really awesome. Now, one of the rare spots I haven't done, but we've done Purdue. And then obviously we mentioned all the sites here in town, Pacers, Colts, IUP Rise, uh, Jim, they play at the uh, essentially the fairgrounds set up and then Butler to Hinkle. That's a great place to have a game like this, folks or not. Yeah, I was kind of hoping that uh, Ohio would get assigned to a game at, at Hinkle back yeah. in yeah in the what was it the o three o four season. I was covering the team for the Athens Messenger, and this was back when ESPN was doing the bracket busters, and Ohio got assigned to play uh, at Butler. So it was kind of a rough season overall for the Bobcats, but that was easily, uh, I think the highlight of the year was uh, getting to go in there and it was an afternoon game. So you get the, the daylight coming in through the windows around the top, uh, a, a great venue in college basketball. Yeah. Well, Tom, oddly, this team, much of this team's been in Hinkle. Russ wasn't for that trip, but the team oddly and sort of sadly at the time practiced at Hinkle on the way to the Northern Illinois game that ended the season two seasons ago in the MAC playoffs. Everybody got their picture. Everybody got the, got yeah. the tape. Everybody got all the stuff. Got to see the giant ceramic bulldog, and then went and lost to Northern Illinois. And Jeff Bowles now the coach of this team. Yeah, it, I, Hinkle is just 
awesome. Um, my, my dad was a high school uh, broadcaster uh, uh, covering high school basketball. He, he worked in Rochester and Rensselaer in Indiana. So I grew up, uh, among other things, learning about the history and pageantry of, uh, of Milan turned Hickory and, and all of uh, what then was Butler Fieldhouse and, and called Hinkle Fieldhouse today. But it is a palace and there are so many of them in this state. Uh, so, yeah, if Ohio wins, I, I sure hope round two is with Butler Blue the fifth or however many there have been <laughs> at BU. And, um, yeah, it would be great. It would just be so awesome to call a game there. Well, got some business to take care of first. And uh, maybe when you get to Assembly Hall on Saturday, I, I hope you can bring some OU swag to hang out, hand out to the uh, uh, Indiana healthcare workers who are going to be in attendance. Maybe you can get a few converts. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. And, 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 you know, this is an easy team to like. It really is. I'd like to think we're an easy broadcast team to like. And I think this team's a really fun team and easy team to like, too. And, and uh, no matter what happens, and, and I, I think it's going to be a Bobcat win, much like I thought it would be a Bobcat win against Michigan um, back in 12. Uh, I've got a really good feeling about this matchup and then potentially the matchup against the Gauchos or the Jays in round two. And that's really what it is that these postseasons are about matchups. You've seen when Ohio won the three games and in 10 and in 12, it was against big name, big conference teams, but ones that played knuckleball styles or styles that didn't necessarily take advantage of every guy being 6'9 and running a 4-3. This is different. Virginia's a knuckleball style, and sometimes it's easier to deal with that than it would be just to say, have Auburn show up here. Right, right. You, you, you eliminate a, a part of the game. Yeah. Um, you know that Virginia is not going to go on some massive 12-0 run on you. They, they might grind it out into them, but an 8-0 run could be somebody else's 15-0 run. Uh, and we're now we're getting real uber analytic in it, but just long story short, you eliminate that real offensive uh, 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 haymaker that you might get from, like Rob said, a, a team of the style of an Auburn, even though Auburn's not determined. But but to his point, somebody like that is is a scary team sometimes for for teams making their first trip to the tournament. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. It is great to have the Bobcats back in the NCAA tournament. It's, it's been a long time coming. Been some good teams over the years who haven't quite made it there. So in uh, everything else that's gone on this year, uh, great way to uh, get back into March Madness, have the, the alma mater uh, play in on uh, Saturday night. Russ Eisenstein, Rob Cornelius, thank you so much for joining uh, joining us here. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks, man. Enjoy the games this weekend. Hopefully we're going for a few weeks. Yeah, and, and, and I want to echo that. And you guys are alums and, and um, Bobcat fans and, and alums have been so kind to me not being an alum, but I think I've been in Athens a lot longer than a lot of maybe some other Bobcats have been there. But, but that kind of camaraderie around the Cats uh, and it being a, a school that has success in hoops, it's just been really fun. So I hope most certainly for your guys' sake as alums and fans for a long time, uh, and for everybody associated with this program, that it is a long and deep run in this NCAA tournament. Let's do it. America's favorite mid-major, the Ohio Bobcats. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, that's going to do it. Subscribe to The Nail on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast listening platform. You can stream us on waitingfornextyear.com. And speaking of waiting for next year, support us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash WFNY and choose The Nail in the Coffin tier. Thanks again to Russ Eisenstein and Rob Cornelius. I'm Tom Valentino. This has been The Nail in the Coffin, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. We'll catch you again soon.
The Korean War has sadly been known as the Forgotten War, but half a century earlier, the United States was locked in a bloody conflict in Asia that's been all but erased from the history books. Hi, I'm Alex Hasty, the host of Ohio vs. the World, an American history podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. In our newest episode, we speak to experts about the Philippine-American War, America's first Asian counterinsurgency conflict. The heroes, the villains, will discuss President McKinley, Admiral Dewey, the vicious brutality of the fighting and the scandals and war crimes that nearly sunk Theodore Roosevelt's presidency. Check out our show, Ohio vs. the World, on the Evergreen Podcast Network for our new episode about America's most forgotten war. Now back to the show.